There is a, um, there was, he's passed away now, uh, an African-American preacher who uh, was quite famous, uh, Gardner Taylor. And he described once upon a time what we pastors and preachers do on Sunday morning as the sweet torture of Sunday morning. He meant for us, not for you. The sweet torture is this. We know we have good news to share. We also know we will not do it justice. And that's kind of the way I feel today. While we were on sabbatical, we saw some immense things in God's created order. We looked up at the night sky and we saw a small portion of the estimated hundreds of billions of galaxies consisting of an average of 100 billion stars per galaxy. And if you do the math, you've got, well, I don't know, math stinks for me. So it's best just to quote Neil deGrasse Tyson, who says, There are more stars in the universe than grains of sand on any beach. More stars than seconds have passed since Earth formed. More stars than words and sounds have ever uttered by all the humans who ever lived. I'm not sure how accurate it is, but it's poetic. In other words, a lot of stars. The universe is immense. We went out on the water and saw whales swimming in the depths of the ocean, also immense and deep and unfathomable. We saw several beautiful national parks made of canyons. And you know, you think you saw one canyon, you've seen them all. That is not the case. They're all different, all beautiful in their own way and immense and breathtaking. Toward the end of our time, we went out, uh, on our way out of Utah, we went to Moab and we went up to Canyonlands National Park. Uh, And again, still, we'd seen several parks by then, but still amazing and beautiful. Photographs, as you know, if you've taken photographs, don't do these things justice at all. But I did discover that if you shoot a bit of video and move a little bit, you get a sense of the depth and the size of things. So I'm going to show you about 30 seconds of a piece of, uh, that I shot at Canyonlands. I took out my heavy breathing and stuff as I was walking. So. Because I, I discovered that I, got, I, I, I really don't like heights. It's immense, it's awe-inspiring. But as stunning as all of this was, and all of it was for us, it does not compare to something immense in our relationships with God. And in our journey into the deeper waters, the deeper waters of transformation, the Apostle Paul has something to show us in this morning's passage, something immense and beautiful. Last week, we, as we reviewed Revelation 3, verses 14 to 22, we discovered that even though we are Christ's church, even though we may gather together in His name, there are times in the life of this church, any church, where we're gathering every week, but maybe it's as if Christ is outside knocking on the door, inviting us to invite Him in, promising us that if we will hear and answer and open the door, Jesus will come in and dine with us. And That invitation I suggested last week was an invitation for you and me to experience more of the abundant and transformative life that God has for us in Christ Jesus. And so I invited you to pray each day, God, in your mercy and wisdom and timing, give me more, give us more of the abundant life you have for us. And I have been praying that, and I hope you have too. In this week's 
deeper water passage, the Apostle Paul prays for the people of the church of the city of Ephesus. And while the letter is addressed to the church in Ephesus, it was likely passed around to other churches in the area and read publicly. And so because of that, the words in, of, of Paul in the letter to the church in Ephesus, the words are, are, are pretty generalized. There doesn't seem to be a big problem going on. So he gives us sort of a very basic understanding of the gospel. He gives us pictures of how he perceives that God is at work in the universe. So for example, Paul lets us know something important right off the bat. Early on in the letter, Paul discloses something he refers to as a mystery. This is a word that Paul loves. Chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The mystery? One day, God in Christ will bring unity to all things on heaven and on earth. Whatever that means, whatever that means, it will be good It will be beautiful, and it will be true, and we have been tipped off to what's coming. And that tip-off to what's coming is meant to embolden us, and to encourage us, and to strengthen us. The word translated there in the New International Version as to bring unity to all things is translated elsewhere as to gather up all things in him, or as some scholars might put it, taking it more literally, using the meaning of the two words that were put together for this, to put the head back on again. To put the head back on again. What has been decapitated will be recapitulated. What has been wounded will be restored in Christ. This is a reminder to us that God's plan of salvation and new creation isn't just about you and me and individual human beings. It's about all of creation. It's about the cosmos. It's immense. In the next part of chapter 1, Paul writes that the Gentiles, to whom he is writing for the most part in that church... The Gentiles have been included in Christ's saving work along with the people of Israel. And then he closes off the chapter of chapter 1 with the first of a couple of prayers. Chapter 1, verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in, the holy people, in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So here Paul prays that his readers will experience the more, the more that God has for them in Christ. More wisdom, more revelation, a greater knowledge of God, more hope concerning their inheritance, more power. And then once again, at the end of the prayer, we get this picture of the coming together of all things in Christ, verses 22 and 23. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. What does that even mean? The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We can experience the fullness of God? Are you kidding me? If we were to take this and start stacking some metaphors that we've been encountering along this series so far, we would say this speaks of the deeper water. This speaks of the abundant life. This speaks of inviting Christ to the table and feasting with Him. This speaks of life in the kingdom of God. The fullness of God. In chapter 2, then, Paul, in a very famous passage, celebrates our salvation by grace through faith and the fact that God has not only reconciled us to him, 
God has reconciled us to one another, different ethnicities and races, in this case, between Jews and Gentiles. God has made the two people into one people, and through this one new people, we are built into a temple in which God dwells. So we're back to this picture of God's fullness in us. And then comes chapter 3. And it's amusing if you want to look at it, but verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul starts to say something, then interrupts himself for two whole paragraphs before he gets back to what he intended in verse 14. Now translations vary a bit on exactly how to translate all this because the grammar apparently is quite challenging. So I'm going to use a different translation than we normally use, which is also in your Bible app live event, so that the structure of the prayer comes out a bit more clearly. This one comes from the New Revised Standard Version, which is the the version that Kim read from earlier. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through His Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So there are three basic requests he prays for over over his readers. We're going to break them down one by one. Verse 16, I pray that according to the riches of his glory he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. So Paul prays for strength. But we dare not skip over where that strength is to be found. It is to be found in our inner beings. This this journey of transformation is a journey, is an inward journey. It's an inward journey. The health of our lives, our maturity in Christ, is all about our inner beings. If we are to become truly Christiform people, people in whom Christ is fleshed out and flowing into the world, it will be because we have given attention to our inner lives. And that is about prayer. That is about prayer above all else. Too often, we, I think, think of prayer as petition and intercession, praying for our needs and praying for the needs of others. And while that is good, in fact, that's exactly what Paul is doing in this passage. Prayer is so much more than that. It's so much more than that. If we are to be strengthened in our inner being, we need to learn to pray differently, more broadly, more consistently. Robert Mulholland says that one of the words Paul often uses for prayer, in fact, refers not to bringing our request to God, but to an inner posture of our being that is attuned and receptive to God and the work of the Holy Spirit. An inner posture of responsiveness to the Spirit is also prayer. It is the same word Paul uses when he tells us to pray without ceasing in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. It's the same word he uses when he tells us to devote ourselves to prayer in Colossians 4.2. It's the same word when he tells us in Romans 12.12 to be faithful in prayer. It's not about requests and petitions. It's about an inner posture of our, our inner being, our spirit. Prayer is also about stillness and silence and solitude. I would agree, I would argue that even, it's even more about that than it is about petition and intercession. Prayer is about training ourselves to commune with God at the deepest level of our beings as our way of living and interacting with God day in and day out in the world every day 
In this way, Paul says, we can be strengthened in our inner being. Next, Paul says in verse 17, he prays that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Paul uses language we often use evangelistically to describe what it means to come to faith in Christ. So we talk about, we invite people to invite Jesus into their hearts, right? But Paul is right, is not writing to non-Christians, he's writing to the church. They already know Jesus. So he must mean something a bit more than the evangelistic meaning with which we are most familiar. Paul is not implying that Christ does not already live in the hearts and lives of followers of Jesus, like you and me. What we have here is a, is a category of degree. In the Greek verb, to dwell, is combined with what one scholar referred to as an intensifying prefix. An intensifying prefix. He is praying that Christ will really dwell in our hearts by faith. It implies a settledness. He might have said, I pray that Christ would not only live in you, but would dwell in you, would put down roots and make himself utterly at home in you, in your life. Furthermore, in Scripture, the heart includes not only our emotions, but our will and our intellect. The heart in Scripture is seen as the center of our personalities. So Paul prays that we will allow Christ to make make the place his own, to move the furniture around, to redecorate if he wants to, to entirely change the blueprint if he wants to. In every area of our lives, Paul is speaking of a greater and deeper experience of the abundant life, the more that we have talked about the last few weeks. But this is the only place, this is the only place in all of the New Testament where Paul or anyone else speaks specifically of Christ living in individual hearts. That may come as a surprise to you. This is the only place in the New Testament where any writer speaks of Christ living in individual hearts. There are a few places where he uses the imagery of Christ in us, the hope of glory. He's talking there about the church. Certainly, Jesus talks about the need for us as followers to abide in Christ and Christ abiding in us. But in terms of the individual heart, this is it. This is the only place you find that. This is where we get it. In the rest of Paul's writings in particular, he speaks of us being in Christ, not the other way around. Don't misunderstand me. It is true that Christ dwells in us. As we say, he dwells and delights in us. That is absolutely true. And if you prayed once upon a time for Jesus to come into your heart, you didn't do it wrong, and you're not going to hell. I want to be really clear about that. That's not my point. My point is that we need to expand our categories a bit. There's something that is true about both. We dwell in Christ, and Christ dwells in us. But in praying for this, and praying this for us, Paul is stuck as any of us would be, using finite, human, imperfect words to describe something that is perfect and infinite and indescribable. God is with us wherever we are. God is in us and around us, sustaining us and all that is. God is immense. 
Reminds me of Psalm 139 where King David prays, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. We can't escape God. We can't hide from God. No matter where we go, God is there. Carl Jung, the late psychiatrist, had a phrase carved in the stone above his office door. It read in Latin, Vocatus atque non vocatus Deus aderit. I probably butchered that, but don't worry about it. What I'm interested in is the meaning. Invoked or not invoked, God is present. Invoked or not invoked, God is present. If we have come to know Christ, Christ does indeed dwell within us. And we dwell in Christ. But there is something more to experiencing this everywhere present God. And so Paul prays that we will be strengthened in our inner being. And he prays that Christ will dwell in our hearts by faith and make himself utterly at home. Move anything around he wants to. In every area of our lives. One more request. This is a doozy. Verses 18 and 19. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. There it is again. Paul prays that we may have the power to comprehend, to know the immensity of God's love that surpasses knowledge. I hope you caught that. Paul prays that we will know the unknowable. The love that surpasses, we will know the love that surpasses knowledge. We will know the unknowable, the, the immensity of God's love. It spreads out farther than the known universe. It's deeper than the sea. It's broader and more majestic than the grandest canyon. And Paul prays not only that we will comprehend the incomprehensible, but that we will be filled with all the fullness of God. That's not just poetry. Stop and think about that for just a minute. We will be filled with all the fullness of God. The wonder, the beauty, the gift. We are loved with an everlasting and immense love. And yet we can only begin to imagine it, to experience it. My experience, by the way, is that there is always more of Christ to know. There is always more of Christ's love to experience. More, 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 always more. Paul prays that we would get it, that we would grasp it, that we would know it and experience it to the fullest possible measure. And we want to say, yes, but how? It's impossible. Paul, you just said it. You prayed for us to know the love that surpasses knowledge. The contradiction is in your prayer. How are we going to do it? And that's when Paul surprises us with this benediction in verses 20 and 21. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To Him be glory in the church 
and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Can I get an amen? God has placed this power within us by the presence of His Spirit, and by that power, not by our power, our power, by that power, God is able to accomplish abundantly more, all, more than all that we can ask, think, or imagine. You're right, Paul says. It's impossible. Except God. Except when we bring God into the equation. Paul stacks terms on top of one another to get at the impossible possibility. The Passion Translation, which takes some liberties, but I love it when they get it right. The Passion Translation puts it this way. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for His miraculous power constantly energizes you. We simply cannot imagine the power, the immense love, the size and potential of the kingdom of God that is out there and in here. It's there. And the prayer of Paul is that we would access it, that we would live into it more and more. And while we may not experience all of it this side of the new heavens and the new earth, I think, I know we can experience more of what God has for us. I think God wants us to experience this. I think it gives God joy when we want it, when we ask for it, when we imagine it, when we discover it, and when we begin to experience all that He has for us. When we are strengthened in our inner being and Christ has begun to make Himself utterly at home in our lives. I think that brings God joy. I want us to backtrack. For just a minute, I want us to notice for whom Paul prays. Verses 18 and 19 once again. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints. This prayer is for us, for all of us. It's not just for pastors or priests or missionaries or chaplains and the like. It is for all of God's holy people. If you name the name of Christ, this prayer is for you. Dwight Lyman Moody came to faith in Christ as a young man. He had moved in with his uncle in Chicago. His uncle had given him a job as a shoe salesman. His uncle's only requirement was that, uh, for living with him was that he go to church once a week. And over the course of time, D.L. Moody's Sunday school teacher shared the love of Christ with him, and, he, and, and Moody came to faith. Throughout his eventful and fruitful life, D.L. Moody took part in, led, and founded many ministries. He even traveled overseas to Great Britain and led in revivals over there. All of this he did with no more than a fifth grade education. The power of God was clearly at work in and through him. We might even say it was beyond all he could ask or imagine. By 1871, Moody's work as an evangelist had resulted in a rather large church in Chicago, but some of his parishioners really felt like he needed more power. And so unbeknownst to him, they began to pray um, that Moody would experience more of the power of God. They did this for three months. And after about three months, Moody had an overwhelming experience of God's power and presence. He hardly ever spoke of this. He called it almost too sacred an experience to name. But in a couple of places, he did tell the story. After several months of hungering for more power in his services, one day he says he was walking the streets of New York when he says, quote, 
The blessing came upon me suddenly like a flash of lightning right there on the street. The power of God seemed to come upon me so wonderfully that I had to ask God to stay His hand. The power of God seemed to come upon me so wonderfully that I had to ask God to stay His hand. I was filled with a sense of God's goodness and felt as though I could take the whole world to my heart. I went to preaching again, he says. The sermons were no different. I did not present any new truths, and yet hundreds were converted. But this prayer of Paul's is not just for D.L. Moody and the like. This prayer of Paul's is for us, for all of us, that all of us will know the unknowable and be filled to all the fullness of God. And friends, we need that prayer answered. We need it answered here at ECC, and we need it answered in the larger church. When I consider how the church in the United States of America has given itself over to the idolatrous worship of political parties and agendas, to divisiveness that knows no end, to hatred and violence and the like, I think it breaks God's heart. Sisters and brothers, God wants us to comprehend the immensity of His love. God wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And if we do that, none of these other things are going to hold a place in our lives. So here's how I'd like us to respond. I think this is a sacred moment. It's a sacred opportunity. I want to invite you in the room or online. I want to invite you to commit to praying this prayer that Paul has prayed. Pray it over ECC. Pray it over me and the staff. Pray it over our council, our other leaders. Pray it over the congregation, all of us. Some of you will be able to commit to praying it every day. Others of you will say, I can't really promise that I'm going to do that, so I'll I'll take one or two days a week, three days, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. I just want us to begin. The folks in Moody's Day over 100 years ago prayed for three months. Let's give it three months. Delightfully, that takes us to the Sunday before Christmas. Can we commit in one way, shape, form, or another to pray this prayer over ourselves this body of Christ, for three months. The prayer is in your Bible app, live event. We have cards printed out front, underneath the cross, for you to pick up. It has the prayer on it. The picture on it is a scene from that video I showed you from Canyonlands. It's in the Bible app, and it's here, and I want to invite you to do that. Now I want us to take a moment of silence in which you prayerfully ask God, what part would you like me to do A day a week, two days a week, three days a week, every day, anywhere in between. And then make that commitment to do so. Let's take a moment of silence, would you?
that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I invite you to stand. I'm going to pray a slightly different version. This is the version that's on the cards and in the Bible app. I'm going to pray for us. Last time I prayed for you, now I'm praying for us. You can assume whatever posture of prayer you want. You can kneel, you can stand, you can sit, you can hold your hands, you can close your eyes, I don't care. Father, creator of everything in heaven and on earth, I pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to you who are able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to your power that is at work within us, to you, God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.